Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another King and Servant podcast. My name is Jonathan Gowdry. Here we are now with show number 33. Um, I did post a show on the uh, homepage um, a couple of weeks ago. It's just a brief devotion uh, on contentment. And it was really a mark uh, of uh, a relaunch, if you will, of the show. Um, I've taken a break for over a year now with many significant things uh, happening in my life. And um, I'm seeking now to uh, build up a bit of momentum again with the show. And I did see there were some downloads for the last show. Uh, so it seems that there's still an audience out there. And I'm hoping to build upon that. Um, for those who are new to the show, I would encourage you to go over to the homepage, kingandseven.com. Right now it's a bit primitive in its aesthetic appeal. Um, but I'm hoping as time permits and as providence allows to uh, revamp that. Uh, to make it more user-friendly. Um, but if you go over to kingandseven.com, there is uh, a large iTunes button on the right margin that you can click on, and that will automatically subscribe you to the podcast. We are also available on iTunes as well. That's the way podcasting works. Um, so um, on with uh, the show today, um, I thought in... In uh, in the flavor of last week, and it seems that this is what the Lord is doing in my life right now, it would be good and uh, beneficial to bring another devotion uh, from the Scriptures once more. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke on contentment, and uh, this week I would like to speak on loving not the world. And the reason why I felt compelled to bring this particular issue uh, on this on this show is because it is such uh, a prevalent uh, temptation amongst the even uh, godly of godliness uh, uh, or the most uh, uh, holy of saints. There is a temptation at times or at seasons in our lives to succumb to the temptation of the world. So what I'd like to do in this particular podcast is to really go into that key uh, locus classicus, if you will, that that portion of scripture that directly addresses this and really unpack it and not just to give you uh, a standardized uh, teaching on it because I'm sure for anybody who's been in a Bible study or studied the epistle of First uh, John before, a lot of this will be old hat. Um, so what I'm attempting to do here is also to go a few layers deeper so that we can unpack what uh, these scriptures are saying and that we can tackle the why question as well as the um, the imperative of it. It's one thing to read a scripture and to acknowledge its uh, correctness uh, where you read the imperative, do not love the world, uh, and you bow to its authority because you know that this is something that God has required of you. Uh, but it can also be helpful to look into why the scriptures uh, have this strong imperative against loving the world. Because I remember as a, a young Christian um, first reading these scriptures and hearing good preaching on these scriptures and even agreeing with what was preached and taught. But at the same time, there was this, there was this um, I guess, um, nagging question of why is God so restrictive in this area? Because there are things in the world that that sparkle, that glitter, that uh, can bring pleasure, that can um, preoccupy your time. Maybe it's a hobby. 
Maybe it's um, a particular social circle that you like to hang in. There's so many different um, facets to the world. And um, I remember thinking to myself, it just seems a very weighty command. And it seemed to be um, facing me each day because there was always something that I could identify in my life as worldly. So why does the Bible speak in these terms? Why does it carry this level of gravitas, if you will, or this level of gravity uh, when it comes to love in the world? Well, if we go to the scriptures first, I believe that would be the best place to start, of course. And then we can, um, as I say, unpack some of these verses and really get a, a spiritual insight to why it's so important and why God in his love and his kindness and his grace has given us this instruction. It's not to be um, an unnecessary restriction upon us. It's not to be a dead weight upon us, but rather it's to liberate us and to rescue us from servant self. So let's look at the scriptures together here in First John. Uh, begin at chapter 2, verse 15. We read the following. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions, or some translations put it in the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here we have uh, the epistle of First John. He writes in very simplistic black and white terms. Um, for those who are Greek students, it's one of the easiest epistles to read uh, in the original Greek. Now, I don't know nearly as much Greek as I should, uh, but I remember when I first attempted to learn Greek, I used to really like reading First John um, because there was a certain simplicity uh, to the language and to the words that were used in his writings. It wasn't like reading Luke, where I felt completely lost. Um, so that comes across in his... Um, and these exhortations, uh, it's incredibly helpful to have um, an author such as John uh, write in such a, uh, a black and white way, whereby you can have these profound truths uh, brought to the language of the pew, if you will. So here we, it's no exception. We find this very clear didactic passage and this very clear biblical exhortation to not love uh, the world. But what do we mean by the world when we speak of the world in this manner? Because actually, the word uh, cosmos for the uh, the word translated uh, world is used, I think, up to seven different ways in the writing of John alone. So you can't just take one simple definition of the word world and apply it to every verse. Uh, for example, it says in um, uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in First John 5, um, I believe uh, verse 18 and 19, it says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. See, the whole world there in First John 5.19 is speaking of the unbelieving world, where in uh, John 3.16 it's speaking of the believing world. So you can't have these um, uh, crass definitions that you use as a broad brush to interpret Scripture. You have to allow the immediate context 
and the overarching context of any given book or epistle uh, define the words within their original uh, context and meaning. So when we go back to 1 John chapter 2 and we, we read those words, do not love the world, we get a very helpful definition of what John is referring to here. We don't have to spend time looking through a lexicon because the very text itself expounds upon what John means by this word in this context. Because from verse 16 of 1 John 2 we read, For all that is in the world, so we're going to find out what he means by the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions, or the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So it's not exhaustively what he means by the world, but it is in principle what he means by the world in this particular passage. And what does he mean by love? It means to be totally given over to something. Because in the writings of John, he talks about how men love the darkness. And that, that word is agape, it means to be totally given over to. And when it speaks of our love for Christ, it speaks of us totally trusting him and giving ourselves entirely over to him uh, for our salvation. So when it says, love not the world, it says, do not be aligned with the things of the world. Do not um, sign your allegiance and stand under the flag of the world system that's under the very judgment and condemnation of God. And that's what John is getting at here. Because there's other senses in which the world can be used in a very wholesome sense. Uh, for example, it's not the same Greek word, but when Paul is writing Corinthians about um, uh, matters pertaining to food offered to idols, he there uh, exhausts, exhausts the believer to partake of food uh, if it is sanctified through prayer. And it says there, quoting Psalms 24, that the uh, the food that we partake of, if we know it hasn't been offered to an idol, is uh, to be enjoyed, and that um, the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to the Lord, and he gives us all things richly to enjoy. So read Corinthians, read First Timothy, and you'll come away with that conclusion, that the creation itself, although fallen, is still um, to be enjoyed and still reflects the glory and value uh, of God. And when it comes to our uh, appetites, we're to enjoy food if it's kept within God's precepts. We are to enjoy uh, the things of uh, marriage and the gifts of marriage kept in its right context. These are all things that in and of themselves are not evil. But when they do become sinful is when they step outside the boundaries of God's precepts and actually become idolatrous. And that's what John is uh, driving at here. He's not condemning things particularly in, of themselves, although he does say the things of the world, those things he does condemn. But he is saying a certain idolatrous worldview, that is what is under condemnation here. Those are the things that we are not to love when we put something before God. And we're going to see here the three main symptoms or the three main uh, categories that he identifies as worldly. So going back to the text, he first says, the desires of the flesh. Now the flesh does not mean the physical body, but in New Testament thought, the word flesh, carne, speaks of a sphere of existence that is fallen. And in that fallen existence or behavior is one of idolatry. 
And idolatry is when you worship something other than God. You worship something in his creation, as Romans 1 says, rather than the blessed God who is blessed forever. Amen. So when he says the things of the flesh, he's talking about those things that go beyond God's precepts and we misuse the good things that he's given us. So it could be food. The sin of gluttony is when you go above and beyond the boundaries of what he's set for uh, uh, food and appetite. Or it could be sex. That's when you uh, fornicate or uh, go outside the marriage covenant uh, to uh, receive personal gratification in those areas. Or it could be um, uh, living uh, in, a, in, a, in a slanderous way whereby you speak in a way that's outside of the precepts of God. In fact, the epistle of James uh, covers uh, this in great detail that the tongue, even though being the smallest member of the body, one of the smallest members of the body, can kindle such a great fire that it actually can be a poison cistern that can um, be used by Satan himself to uh, create discord amongst the brethren and to personally assassinate uh, somebody's character without just cause. And uh, it's likened on to uh, murder and hate. So you can see here the Bible is very, um, very uh, verbose when it comes to describing the activities of the flesh. And you can read in Galatians the activities of the flesh are evident. You know, it talks about fornication, the sexual sins, but then it goes on to talk about being disobedient to parents, um, other idolatrous practices, um, coarse jesting, slanderous speech. Um, those type of things all fall under the umbrella of the flesh. And secondly, we have the desires of the eyes, which I believe is kind of like a subset of the flesh, um, or it's what gets you in the flesh, if you will. And that's when you see something that is pleasing to the eye, just as Eve saw the forbidden fruit. And the aesthetic qualities of that uh, become the trump card in the deck, that not, not what God has said about that thing and how it should be used is the final word in the matter, but your personal desires for those things becomes the final authority. And when we allow the uh, desires of the eyes in any area of life, Maybe it's with having a beautiful home, whether it's having um, the uh, the person that you want in your life or coveting something that belongs to somebody else and it comes through the window of the soul through the eyes. That is idolatrous and it goes beyond the precepts of God. And as a result, it says that we are rightfully uh, under the condemnation of God by negating him and putting ourselves first. So that's why it gets serious. That's why sin is serious. Because what we're saying when we sin and we allow either the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes to govern our lives, we're saying, God, you are wrong in your government of creation and of us. And we want to be God and we will decide what is good for us. But what is it in that that causes us to reject God and to serve sin? and to love the things of the world. Well, I believe it's because we're honestly under the deception of those desires. The Bible says, I believe in Ephesians, that uh, before we were saved, we were under the deception of lust. It doesn't say the, the clarity of lust. 
the honesty of lust. It talks about the deception of lust and that the world has been destroyed through lust. And it's talking about how we believe in our hearts that serving self and gratifying either the things of the flesh or the things of the eyes or even the pride of possessions will bring more immediate and lasting happiness than the things of God. That God himself cannot provide this happiness and this contentment and fulfillment for us, but rather we must seek these other things within his creative order in order to say that we are happy and satisfied. And that becomes the governing principle of the unbeliever and of the unregenerate heart. That there's been a deep-seated um, calculation or even a subconscious acceptance of the false premise that we can have happiness and fulfillment outside of putting God first and putting ourselves first and going after the things of the flesh and of the eyes and of the pride of life. And the pride of life, finally, is really the capstone of the world system. Because in the pride of life, we are basically saying, I, the middle of pride is I, and that we must come first. And that God, again, has uh, really done us a disservice by, by making a claim over us that he should be first. That he, as the great creator and the good God, should really take a secondary role in our lives and that we should seek to bring glory onto ourselves through the accumulation of possessions and through uh, the things of this world that bring glory onto ourselves alone and not unto God. This is the pride of life. And yes, it can manifest itself in the big things, people wanting world conquest and things like that, but it can also manifest itself in the small things. Maybe it's a pharisaical spirit where you believe that you can have a right standing with God through your own works and efforts. Or maybe it's a critical spirit. Maybe you're a good reformed Christian and you hold fast to the truths of the gospel, but you're so quick to judge somebody else so that you can look down on somebody. It's the pride of life. Or somebody who can never admit that they're wrong or say sorry. It's the pride of life. And they may not have pomp and ceremony to their name, but in their day-to-day -day living, they deny God through the pride of life by refusing to bow to his kingship, even in the small things. And that they never want to come to that point of confession of sin and um, a, uh, basically a, a surrender to God's will and uh, a renouncement of their own will as the final governing principle of their lives. So we see here, it's a threefold attack that is engined and fueled by the working and operation of Satan in order to keep people in bondage and sin. And the reason why I feel this is so timely for me and for hopefully the listener is this is not going to get better in our culture and society. Maybe there's some post-millennial list millennial listeners out there who believe that the tides will change in the not-too-distant future. But I can see just a constant um, bombardment of the things of the world uh, being a threat to the health of the church, whereby the church is tempted to be seduced by the world and adopt the principles and methodologies of the world uh, in order to have uh, these things of the world, whether it's the pride of life, the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes. And yes, it can be 
put under the umbrella of ministry. But when you look at it carefully in, in accordance with the scriptures, you're going to see that those things that we are sometimes pursuing are actually uh, more in showmanship and self-glorification than they are in the things of the Father and the things of the Son. Sometimes today we are scared to have a simplicity in our worship services. We are scared to have a simplicity in our day-to-day -day Christian lives. And we seek to add unnecessary baggage to it in order to give ourselves greater attention. So what's behind all the sins here? What's the sin at the root of the matter? Um, working with uh, computers on a daily basis and doing web design now and other things. One of the things I learned not so long ago is each domain name that you have will have a DNS address and that can be known as the root domain. And when you get to the root domain of um, uh, a particular website, you get to the very, um, the very source of where all the content and the data is coming from. So what is the root, if you will, of these three uh, identified sins in 1 John 2 here? What is the root cause of the flesh and the eyes? and the pride of life. Yes, it's this deception that concludes that you'll be happy and more fulfilled serving self than God. But to put it even a step beyond that, a level deeper than that, it's simply this. It is self-worship over Christ-worship. That is the bedrock distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. After all has been said and done, after every symptom of worldliness has been identified, it goes back to those two bedrock realities. Is it worship of Christ and worship of God through Christ, or is it worship of self? And the world is guilty of self-worship. And it's manifesting itself culturally right now in many different ways. One example of, uh, that really does uh, spring to mind of course, is the homosexual agenda. Why is it that so many heterosexuals who would never practice such a lifestyle themselves are busy approving of it? Why is that? Are they simply just um, running purely on um, a philosophy like Darwinian evolution to come to those conclusions? So, of course not, because that particular worldview, if you will, a philosophy of the, um, how we got here doesn't uh, approve of those behaviours if held consistently. The whole idea of Darwinian evolution is you pass on your gene and it's the, the survival of the fittest. And in homosexuality, you don't get that. You don't get the poor creation. You don't get to pass on your gene to the next generation. So what is it? Because a lot of them claim to be Darwinian evolutionists or agnostics or atheists, what is it that would cause this, this gap in logic? It's the love of the world system. It's love of self and want to be seen in the world and of the world and getting the praise through that, through that fallen world. That's why people come to erroneous conclusions and support things that the Bible has condemned. They're not just wanting to condemn something uh, sorry, or prove something in and of itself because uh, 
that's the way they feel about it. They just see a tide, a wave of acceptance and approval of a certain thing that puts you uh, in the pack of uh, the popular people. And that's where the, uh, the enticement and the temptation comes to align yourself with it so that you can feel better about yourself and feel more in the modern crowd and in the crowd that claims to be leading the way in this society. And you see this example in that, but you see it all over. You see it in business practices, you see it in the music world, you see it in the world of entertainment, you see it in even the world of uh, home economics, how people decorate their homes. How many shows are there today that are just about decorating your home? Yeah, it's great to have a nice home with lovely furnishing. But to preoccupy your life of just trying to make your home look like a, a hotel, a five-star hotel, you've got to ask yourself something. Are you really doing it just to be a good, um, good neighbour and to be a good hospitable person? Are you doing it to bring just attention to yourself? So people go, wow, and ooh, and, and uh, affirm you in the things that you have. I think it's the latter in many examples. So love not the world. The world really doesn't have a lot to offer us. In fact, it has nothing to offer us at the end of the day. And that's how the writer here addresses it. He's saying to us, love not the world, because he knows that we won't find life there if we truly belong to Christ. So why waste our time? He's basically saying, it's foolish for the Christian who's found the true source of all life in Christ and turn around and fall in love with the world. It makes zero sense. And it's an empty sack. It's an empty bag of idols that would never bring fulfillment and satisfaction to the one who's been truly born again. We find our satisfaction and fulfillment from the things that are above, the heavenly Jerusalem, as Galatian puts it, that liberates us, the truth that sets us free, being reconciled to God through Christ and being on the straight and narrow path that leads to life. That doesn't include these three things and all of its symptoms. So yes, you can have a nice home. You can enjoy uh, the things of this, this, this creation, although fallen. It's still good when it's dedicated back to God. But don't allow the things of this world to prioritize your life to the negation of what God has told us to do. Because we're called to love him and love our neighbor and not to be preoccupied with ourselves and putting ourselves first and join the world system that's under the very condemnation of God. And I think I'll finish with this Puritan quote. I think it was Watson who said it. He said, The world will condemn the Christian so that the Christian is not condemned with the world. So you feel out in the cold a bit right now with the people of the world. They kind of look at you and... Um, don't hold you in high esteem. They don't see you as a valuable contributor to society. They don't see you as somebody worth voting for. 
supporting, whatever it may be. Don't get too disheartened. In fact, don't get disheartened at all. If you belong to Christ, you're in God's eternal kingdom that will never pass away. And according to the scriptures here, all the desires of the world will finally pass away. It doesn't matter how lofty somebody can reach, how many things they can achieve. If it's not in Christ, it's all going to burn. It's all going to be dissolved and dissipated in a matter of moments on the final day of judgment. It doesn't matter how successful somebody is, how long somebody lives. If it's not in Christ, the Bible says, it's still in the fallen world system and will not survive the fire. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be condemned by the world than God. And I want my works and my life to survive the fire of the final day so that I can have as much happiness as possible in the next life as well as this one. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, brief devotion. Um, I'll continue to bring them as time and God's providence allows. But I pray in the meantime that the Lord will continue to bless the study of his word. God bless you all, and I'll see you next time.